Hello, welcome to Intellicast. This is season three, episode 35. If you're listening in 1.5 speed, I'm going to talk really fast, so take that. Um, you can reach us at Intellicast at emi-rs.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research, or Intellicast1. Still never got the regular Intellicast. Negotiations are still ongoing. You can also leave us a voicemail or text us at 513-401-5463. We would love more texts, even prank texts. We'll take what we get, right, Brian? That's right. I I enjoy opening those up and finding random texts in there. Love it. It's one of my favorite things. How's it going, by the way? Pretty good. It's good, good uneventful weekend now. Back into the yeah. grind. Yeah, we're recording this on Monday-ish, and uh, this will be out on Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, if you're listening. And um, yeah, same here. Kind of a boring summer weekend for me. Yeah, this is when um, this is when people I think start complaining about summer when they shouldn't, because we complained about winter for so long. This is when you almost have to embrace it. Have you been to the pool yet, by the way? We went to our we went the first time this past weekend. We just try to go when there's not a lot of people around and because people in my neighborhood, they don't social distance. They don't wear masks. None of that. And yeah, my wife already is out back to work in an office seeing clients and things like that. So she's already yeah. she can't be as risk conscious as she'd like to be. So yeah, we're trying yeah. to keep that around here. But we were able to get to the pool on Saturday prior to anyone getting there. And actually, in our neighborhood pool, only one family at a time can be in the kiddie pool area. Yeah. So we were there first, so the kids got to play in it for like an hour, and they were pretty happy. Normally, we're there like two, three times a week. And and the list of viruses, illnesses, germs that you can get in a pool, where does COVID fall on the list? My guess, is it in the top five? Probably not. <laughs> but I'm just saying the worry. Yeah, I'm not catching it from the pool water. I'm more likely to drink some kid's urine. <laughs> All right. Um, well, glad you're back in the pool. Um, our guest today is Andrew Moffat. He's a partner and the chief strategy officer of Opinion Route. And um, before we get to his interview, which I think is great, he talks a lot about data quality. And speaking of data quality, we had our first blog and a new series go out. And this one, it's called an introduction to quality checks and their use determining data quality. It's a lengthy blog, and all it does is introduce what we did in research and research, because this is going to be probably four or five blogs, and we had 19 different quality checks in our research and research, and we've just done a lot of analysis with it. Um, shout out to intern Leah and. Um, who's done a lot of the analysis and help with it and wrote a lot of the blogs as well, but we didn't really remove anybody. It's just trying to evaluate the impact of different quality measures. And we're going to look at the data. You'll see that in future blogs and we'll offer some recommendations, but I think it's a pretty cool series, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, You and I've talked about maybe doing some other stuff with that information, but when you mention intern Leah, should we have her on the podcast? I know intern Emma's made a, cu- made a couple of appearances. Maybe we should at some point have intern Leah on. She has been an integral part of the, I guess we call it the marketing and insights team. We're not officially on the same team, but we kind of yeah. are. Um, we're, we're an unofficial yeah, team, yes. Because we work together so closely. But um, intern Emma, intern Leah, you and I, I mean, we communicate multiple times a day. And she does a great job, just like intern Emma. Um, 
does as well. They're both students at the University of Cincinnati. So shout out to the University of Cincinnati. Go Bearcats. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, go to our blog series. You can find it on our social media too. Maybe we'll tweet it out or it'll be in the show notes. But it's our latest blog on data quality, which follows the series, which I don't know how many different episodes we've done now on the data quality special series. This is probably six-ish, right? That sounds about right. Six, yeah. Around there from a looking at quality from a lot of different perspectives. Um, there'll probably be more to come. We may not focus every episode on it, but there'll be more to come. And by the way, our next episode, I'm really looking forward to, we'll talk more about the data quality blog. We'll also talk about the grit report. How exciting is that? That is pretty exciting. Um, if longtime listeners know it can get a little heated yeah. talking about that. Yeah, it is tradition, but yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. I, I don't think it'll be controversial. Anything we say, I've, um, I've done a lot of thinking about it. And so um, I think we'll just kind of explore it and talk about some of the companies we never heard of before. It'll be interesting. I'm speaking for myself. We'll have another person on the podcast talking about it from their perspective. So maybe it will get heated, but I don't have anything controversial to say as a, as a quick heads up. And it's always kind of a fun time of year when the, when the um, grit report comes out and you see everybody promoting it, you see people complaining about it and people are writing about it, promoting it. And, you know, it's, you know, I feel bad for green book in many ways because they can't win for losing, but it's, I always look forward to it and excited to talk about it. Yeah. They're kind of in a rock hard spot situation. Some, there's always going to be someone who doesn't like it. My thought is if you have a bunch of people complaining, then you must've done something right. Yeah. So, and you know, all it is is taking the data from a bunch of people and research that took the survey and a few guest blogs and some fancy charts. And um, there you go. I mean, it's the data talking. It's not like Lenny or Lucas at Green Book that <laughs> writing controversial statements. Right. And they they tweaked it a little bit from last year, didn't they? I mean, I read through it already. And it seemed it they've made a few tweaks to it compared to last year's grit list. Yeah. So I think they, they, they do take people's feedback and they update it every year. So it's, yeah, it's a little bit different, but you can obviously download it, download that at greenbook.org and you can play along when you listen to the podcast, which will probably be out early next week. Um, so let's get to our interview. That was fun. Um, Andrew Moffitt, who is the chief strategy officer at Opinion Route, really nice guy, super smart, worked at SSI for years and now works at Opinion Route, and he's going to talk about his background. He's going to talk about data quality a lot and kind of Opinion Route's position on it and his position on it. Um, he'll have a public story. If you want to stick around to the end, the four Ps, he has a nice public story living in Florida. And um, anything else am I missing? No, just that I think we should reach out to the public's marketing team, see if they can maybe sponsor this podcast. Well, I have reached out to the podcast people, and um, I mean the the public's people, and maybe I should, maybe there should be a new segment. Trying to get someone from Publix on. I know a couple people that work there, but the current update is they have to go through a series of approvals to be on the podcast. So I'm not saying have them as a guest on the podcast. Sponsor it. Them to send some money our way. Yeah, that's a good idea. At least, at minimum, get Mary in a commercial. Yeah, that'd make Mary's day. Or Shannon from Directions Research. Yeah, either maybe both. Yeah. Well, that's another episode. That's an entire other episode, but um, hopefully you're sticking around for the Andrew Moffat interview, and um, it's really good. So here's Andrew. Joining us now, I am happy to have Andrew Moffat on. He is the partner and CSO 
of Opinion Route. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Brian, doing well, thanks. Uh, nice, nice to be on, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You know, we've been doing a series on data quality and I've seen you guys in the news and we've even spoken about it, that you guys are really positioning yourselves in terms of data quality. So I'm happy to have this discussion to kind of further that discuss, further that topic. Uh, thank you. And, and me too. Yeah, we, we care quite a lot about data quality and, and producing high quality data. So it's uh, yes. it kind of kind of governs everything we do at Opinion Route. Okay. Well, before we get into it, let's. I'd love to maybe introduce yourself, what your background is, and what you're currently doing. I have to admit, two minutes ago, I didn't know what a CSO uh, was, so um, that's a cool <laughs> role. So I'd love to for you to tell our listeners. Sure, sure. Uh, so CSO is Chief Strategy Officer, um, and uh, I took up that role, I guess, probably about six to nine months ago, but had been operating in that role for quite some time beforehand. So with my first couple of years at the company, did pretty much everything, but a lot around sales and operations and, and moving things forward in that space. But um, as we decided to evolve and start to take a lot of our kind of thoughts and experience and expertise and put it into technology, moved into the strategy or innovation role and get a chance to test out our concepts and build out products that we feel kind of tackle or address needs in the market. So I, I, I have quite a lot, a lot of fun doing it, to be honest. And uh, yeah. I also also do the marketing side as well, as part of it as well. So kind of couple those two things together. And then prior to Opinion Right, I spent all of my career basically at SSI and started there in the telephone sample days. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, with Terrence, who's my partner at Opinion Right. So that's where we met and where we were yeah. both trained together back uh, back in the random digit dial days and what have you. And then uh, the year after we both joined, online took off in both the industry as well as within SSI. And I've kind of been riding that train ever since. So uh, yeah. spent, some, spent some time in Europe, kind of building sales offices for SSI um, in, in various countries. And um, to, you know, for a while, ran our global relationships with the large multinational firms um, like Nielsen and and managing the global uh, consulting business. Okay. And and left about a year prior to the um, the merger between SSI and Research Now, which is now Dynata. Yep. Well. That's an awesome background, and I think it's interesting that you and Terrence both have a, a, a phone center background. I have a phone center background as well. We could probably do a whole episode on telephone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I but, sold telephone numbers as a you know <laughs> as my day job, and yeah. you know the the intricacies of sampling methodology and things like that. And it drives so much of what we do because yeah. and how we think and online because. Yep. With the you know emergence of all this technology, some of the science behind the research is not necessarily forgotten, but sometimes ignored. <laughs> and, uh, yes, yeah, I I'm surprised how often I talk about my phone center days, but I it it it's just like basic marketing research 101 that I learned how not to lead respondents, and you learn that you should be talking their language, not our language, and you. Uh, mindful of their time and the respondent experience, and I, I honestly think about it all the time. Yeah, 
and I think the core fundamental we always learned was as SSI, we were the gold standard in sample. Yes. Right? If you wanted a, a, yeah. a job done right, if you wanted to, you know, go up in front of a boardroom or have something stand up in court, you would get your sample from SSI. And yes, absolutely. What what they would say is the quality of your sample determines almost all of your outcome for your project. Because if you don't get that right, then the rest of the project doesn't matter. And so it's a very simple concept, but it drove everything they did. And it, you know, I, it's one thing that stays with me. And I kind of still believe in that concept today, which is why we focus so heavily on data quality and, and creating technology to create a better output or in some cases, a better input to create the better output. Yes, definitely. I, I love that we share a passion for this and um, because it's needed in the industry. And I'm glad that, you know, a lot of us can kind of work together uh, to help lift up the industry because I honestly think it can grow. If we can lift it up. And I know that you all are doing a lot of things and trying to lift it up. But the first question on here, by the way, this is funny, Brian. What do you think about data quality? This is on me, <laughs> Brian. The first question, what do you think about data quality? Someone ask you, Andrew, what do you think about data quality? Uh, I'm a fan, um, I'll say. <laughs> but I think, you know, just to, to take a step back a little bit, I think that um, for a while, data quality was a given. And, and I think that data quality and the emergence of technologies to try and tackle that problem has, you know, you guys talk about it quite a lot on the podcast, and so does everywhere else you kind of look online. It's, it's talked about because it is a problem. And we also try to understand how that problem was created to begin with, right? So um, uh, most of how we kind of looked at that problem being created was really the divergence from panel sample, which was validated in some way, making up 100% of what you do, to now being a percentage of what you do, depending on where you're buying your 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 supply from, right? And uh, and the rest of that non-panel supply can look like mobile traffic or, you know, traffic from games on Facebook or a website of some kind and have different types of incentives or motivations tied to their participation. And and as that happened, um, it did open up new audiences to be able to participate in the research process. It opened up more supply, but it also opened up the need to clean that supply a lot better. And I think yes. earlier on did a really good job at cleaning it. And the technology that was in place kind of at least made people feel comfortable that the problem was addressed through that being there. Um, but as fraud has evolved and as technology has evolved, we didn't feel like that was still the case anymore. And that's why we created the Clean ID technology to tackle that issue. But before we used Clean ID, we essentially just, uh, when we aggregated our own supply for our own clients, would only aggregate double opt-in panel. And that double opt-in panel aggregated together tended to perform better than any other quote-unquote panel out there because their panel was mixed between proprietary panel and real-time supply more often and was subject to some of those issues. So, so, so that's the macro level problem. I don't think that problem ever goes away, right? right. And a model where you rely on double opt-in only is not really going to last you forever. So you kind of have right. to adapt and change. And, and so 
with our technology in place, we're catching more fraud than other tools that that are in the market right now. And sometimes as much as four or five times more fraud, we're actually systematically catching survey farms within our tools, which is super cool. And uh, doing a much better job at identifying fraud within mobile, which is hard to do. And, yes. and, a, few, and a few other things like uh, have eliminated the false positive issue in terms of getting to real duplicate devices and things like that. So um, through all of those kind of advancements in the technology, we're able to expand how we buy, open up new channels. But um, for clients that are kind of using that technology, I think, do less work on the back end in terms of cleaning their data sets, which is our ultimate outcome, right? So right. As we're trying to get to a clean data set on the back end so that researchers who now kind of own the responsibility of cleaning data, not the panel companies, and uh, you know, trying to take their time and save it as much as we can. Okay, and this this is clean ID, what you're describing, right? That's That's the product that you've built? Correct. So what that is, is basically a fraud identification uh, or mitigation tool, as well as the ability to dedupe across channels or sources and um, would be akin to other products in the market, like a relevant ID or sample chain or something like that. And I think how we've uh, tackled building that product kind of goes through our core of how we think as well, which is um, we like to build technology that powers the user as much as possible. Um, and in doing so, providing data to help you drive your company or your, you know, in this case, how you tackle fraud forward in the direction that's kind of germane and comfortable to your company. So okay. with, that, with our fraud tool, we give you fraud data so that you can analyze your your project data through a very cool UI so your project managers can pop in, see what's happening, see if there's a bot problem or something happening within the job, super easy. Or you can manage your supply mix over time also. So look at who's performing well, who's driving in more or less fraud within your environment and helps from a supply management point of view and right. part of a part of an input for managing vendors or supply over time. And with all of that data being available, you can over time start to correlate your backend project removal data with your front end kind of fraud data and start to actually customize and create your own profile within the tool that we've created and okay. give you the features and functionality to, to make those adjustments and, and actually like getting into the weeds with people who like to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, By the way, how long how long did it take you all to develop this? Uh, so we did it in partnership with um, a company called Device Forensic IQ. Yeah. The CEO of Device Forensic IQ is David uh, St. Pierre. He used to be the CTO of TrueSample. And um, so his technology and his team um, is also persistent within other industries. So into the ad tech space and financial yeah. services space, and we're picking up logic and um, the benefits of being in those worlds also. And we're using that same technology, have packaged it up in the way that I've described and made it available within the research industry um, in, a, in a partnership basis. So 
I didn't know that background. That's interesting. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, David's involved, his background, not just at, at TrueSample, which uh, to me was a far superior tool back then um, that has since gotten acquired by Imperium. That tool, plus his experience at like Greenfield, who were the, I think the creators of real-time sampling, honestly, and yep. having to yep. deal with those uh those elements back then certainly serves in how we look and how he looks at fraud and how we build the tool. And like, we're, we're very passionate about it. The tool itself has gone through four releases this year already. So we're not like sitting on some code that's static. <laughs> that You're not done. <laughs> we're not, we're not done. We just went cookie lists actually uh, this week, which means that this whole technology works in a cookie-less environment and is ready for the world in a couple of years already. And um, we've got some other cool features that are actually more effective in some of the other worlds, like ad tech and and financial services world that we're trialing out within the survey world as well. And some of of them are going to make their way into the tech over the next while that are kind of cool. Okay. But through all of it, what we're doing is looking at someone's device, right? And we kind of look at quality along that same kind of continuum. So we look at the device first, then we look at the person, and then you look at the project, right? So the device part is clean ID. That's the part that kind of we've been been talking about. And that's a very key element for all types of traffic coming into your environment and ensuring you're got as clean and as real and as unique of an audience running through that pipe this week. Okay. That's really interesting. You mentioned something that I've seen, I don't know if it was you or opinion or not talk about is cookie-less environment. And I, I kind of get it, but can you kind of describe the importance of that? So <laughs> Google, Google, uh, came out with a press release a few months ago talking about basically moving all of the work that they do away from cookies and making cookies obsolete within a couple of years. And um, that's having kind of significant ripple effects within that world and to organizations that have kind of either built companies or processes or structures around cookies, right? Um, and so... So that's going away. They're also problematic in, in terms of kind of getting to some real information and, and somewhat easily manipulated sometimes. So yeah. um, the way we've set up, so we, we've moved away from cookies and also with GDPR and some other things out there, there's some ramifications for cookies and what you do with them and all that kind of stuff. So um, to move beyond cookies as quickly as we have just makes makes us basically future-proof ready for what's coming down the pipeline. And um, all of the other techs that are out there are going to have to move in that direction at some point. So they have some time, but we're just, we're ready and we're there and uh, we don't have to think about it anymore. And, and all of the technologies that are in the market rely kind of relatively heavily on cookies to, for their effectiveness right now. So they're going right. to have to evolve and change and, uh, and make that transition happen. Whereas we've already kind of gone there and have already kind of proven that as it is today, is significantly more effective than what's out there. Okay. Thank you for that. I know it's 
one of the challenges that I think the industry has is you kind of mentioned this too, is the device, um, especially mobile devices. It's, mm -hmm. it's easier to, well, my opinion is that it's somewhat easier to detect fraud on a desktop or laptop because of all of the different digital fingerprinting information we have about them, which create kind of a unique identifier. And whereas like an iPhone with their kind of closed operating system, it's more limited. So yeah. I'm curious about the advancements that we've made either with opinion route and clean ID or as an industry to help stop um, fraud from like a mobile device. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can get into the specifics cause I'm not <laughs> super, super technical. Um, right. but what I can tell you is, is this look, obviously most traffic is mobile on the internet. I think within the survey world, I'm not sure if you guys track it, you probably do more than I do. My guess is that it's somewhere around 50, 50 right now. Yep. And That's it, what we see. Yeah. And Three years ago, that was probably 70% desktop, 30% mobile, right? So the trend is clearly more and more mobile. And like you say, the devices look the same, right? So right. If they look the same from a signature point of view, or I'm not sure which parts, uh, user agent point of view, like how do you find them to be unique? Um, and how do you catch fraud within those devices? So yeah. Um, so we look at what we found from how we're doing kind of device fraud detection is we look for a lot of characteristics within that device to tell us more about it. Okay. And, and in that way, we're able to look at a mobile device and look beyond just that one or two things that people look at right now and see what's happening. Is it, is it continually changing its IP address within that device? Is it a device that's got inconsistent language on a browser versus the operating system? We can look at lots of things that set it up to, to see if they've set it up to be detected or not, or if they've um, come in through different types of browsers or you know, a dark web browser or through a VPN or through a proxy and be able to action those particular items on an individual basis. And so with the amount of control we give the user to be able to kind of, you can kind of say like, I care really a lot about like people that come in from VPNs and I don't want to let any of them into my survey and it will block all of them from coming in. And those suspicious types of behaviors you can have a lot more control over. So that's kind of how we're addressing it. And, and looking at the device only is how we're doing it. Um, the other thing is that our markers are a lot more persistent on devices than other technologies. So our deduping effectiveness is a lot greater because um, cookies only last maximum a month, but anyone can kind of come in and delete a cookie anytime. And if right. that's your main driver of getting that information, then you're kind of like in trouble. Whereas, um, the way we've put markers on the device, you can actually go in and deinstall a browser and reinstall it, and we'll still be able to tell it's the same device um, and be able to dupe you out of the study and and know that you are who you are. Well, that was a great answer to a question I had not prepared you for. <laughs> if that's the non-technical version, I I don't think I want the technical version because that was really good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Next, really kind of the last question on this topic is, 
you, you talked about it a little bit with the cookie stuff is, but where do you see kind of the, the next phase of sampling? I feel like we're going through a little bit of a renaissance in many ways. Um, curious if you have any thoughts on the future. Oh gosh, I have plenty of thoughts on the future. Um, <laughs> so uh, where I'll answer it in the best way that I know how, which is where I'm spending most of my time right now. Um, and that is most of my time is spent on various types of uh, data quality technologies and trying to improve the quality of the supply in general and improve the amount of supply that's coming into the ecosystem and making it as usable as possible. So um, we're doing that through Clean ID. We're doing it through um, other technologies, more so in the B2B space. Um, that we've talked about before, yes. Uh, where we're validating people's um, identities and not necessarily identities, but their profiles that connects to those people. So, being able to validate a an individual's employment background and company background, so that we can um, engage them in B two B surveys and perform better than or have more data accepted than a lot of the current methodologies that exist out there. Like if I look at data quality as a, as a spectrum and you have like consumer and healthcare and B2B within there, I would say healthcare is considered fairly high quality given, you know, the, the level of validation and mechanisms that go into um, creating healthcare panels and right. ensuring that the fielding is done with the necessary professionals. So if I look at consumer <clears throat> with what we're doing on the, the fraud prevention side, the other technologies that are in play revolve around uh, improving the output as well by open-ended tools or other kind of you know quality checks that you can kind of execute within surveys or within your data processing checks. Um, but within B2B, there's a dirt of supply and there is a, um, you know, I, I would say data acceptance rates within B2B are, are a lot lower than any other segment. So yeah, I would agree with that. Yes. It's not uncommon for me as an aggregator of supply to kick out, you know, 30, 50 percent of the supply on a B2B job. For example, where, whereas in consumer it would be a half or a third of that, and so we um, this comes back. So if we think of device, we think of 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 person next. So it's trying to move beyond the device into a more granular look at the person and trying to find if this person's real, because I've, the obvious current methodologies to get to this version of real don't seem to be holding up well enough right now, and. Most of them happen through, you know, consumer panels screening for B2B or through other channels, just self-reported data and, you know, relying on that happening through real-time channels or through panels in various ways right now. Um, so with our validation tool, we're just going in, validating who's a real B2B professional within panels and making them available and usable for B2B surveys and um, incorporating our technology into panel recruitment workflows so that they can identify 
highly valuable respondents, B2B respondents, as they're opting into their panels, they can pass them into B2B uh, channels within their panel environment. They can take our data packages and limit profiling burden on the respondent themselves. And in time, we hope to have an impact in shortening surveys uh, by accepting our data for data for classifications on the back end and other things. If you can rely on <clears throat> the respondent being valid, then the data connected to that person can be used in other ways, right? And try, trying to find ways to meaningfully impact shortening B2B surveys because you can have data and people that you can rely on. So this is where I'm spending all of my time right now. Where, yeah. Uh, we're on board. Yeah. We're onboarding a lot of panel partners at the same time to both uh, integrate our technology into their workflows, as well as build up um, more validated B2B supply um, and uh, trying to uh, tackle that particular problem at the moment. Awesome. Thank you. That's that's great perspective. I'm excited to see what um, the future holds, for, especially for the B2B, which is a, another passion of mine is to prove B2B sampling, and it sounds like you guys have a grasp on it. And also, from one aggregator to another, I'm glad that our data kind of matches removal rates. <laughs> that's <laughs> what we see Me as too. well. So we're fighting the same battle. Good. It's good for her. <laughs> and we, should get our, we should get our heads together someday and, uh, and yeah. see what we see. Solve all the world's problems, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. And I know you're also – I think you're doing a partnership as an AMC Global on some COVID research. Yeah, that's correct. So that's been a multi-week endeavor, kind of looking at different uh, topics of interest that seem like more relevant to that time in that week and keep it more topical. And uh, it's been good because, you know, I don't know about you guys, I didn't feel right pushing a lot of content out when COVID at least first started, right? And yeah. um, it was a nice way to, to keep us out there and relevant while hopefully providing value along the way. Well, now that it looks like COVID's here for a while, then I think people have started to get more comfortable yeah. all ways of life. So yeah. um, people are starting to get back to doing things they normally do. But Yeah, we we created a resource page just to kind of summarize what people are doing. And I'm sure that your partnership with AMC Global is on there. And I thought we'd have it for a month to be kind of a nice resource for people. Brian updated, I think, was it yesterday, Brian, that you updated on our website? Yeah, I update it once a week. Yeah. Wow. And so it just keeps going. So we did our own research, but we thought there's so much out there. There has to be a place to kind of find it all because everybody has their unique spin on it and unique business questions and unique perspective. And um, it's cool. That's great as researchers. We really stepped up during this time period. And so, yeah, it's been great to see. I was talking to um, a couple of the, the salespeople in, in our company the other day and was just asking them, I was like, look, what's what's happening these days? Like, what type of research is going on? What are you seeing? And he was like, well, everything's kind of just become about COVID in some way or another and try to figure out, like, how to navigate it all, you know? Yeah. So he's like, there's a few things that are still going, but even some of those just have additions to them and, and adapting to the current environment. And so okay. I think research these days is probably the place to be to try and figure out what's going on in the world, but it's changing so fast. Yeah, absolutely. It's a crazy time. Let's move on to some fun questions. Let's get to know you a little bit better. We, <laughs> okay. we have a few keys as we typically do. 
I'm not sure if you're prepared for any P's, so you can pass if you'd like, but I'm going to go through them anyway. Uh, the first P is perform. Do you have a hidden talent? Is there something that you um, that you can do or people don't know about you? Oh, wow. Uh, I wasn't prepared. Um, so let me think about this. I guess my hidden talent that no one knows about me. All right. So uh-huh. when I left, when I left SSI, <laughs> I, I did spend some time sitting out and non-compete. And I, I spent a lot of that time actually learning to meditate and getting into energy healing and different things. And I'm actually a certified energy healer, if you can believe Interesting. that. Interesting. That's awesome. <laughs> What, yeah. what a great way to spend some time sitting out a, what is it, like a year non-compete. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, there's a hidden talent that not really anyone knows about me. Yeah, that's cool. Um, we used to do about Rushmore. Now we call it a podium. If there's a topic that you have an opinion of a top three of something, I'm not sure if you have that, but something you're passionate about that you want to talk about. Top three. Gosh, you're putting me really on the spot now. I think I listened to uh, to one of your podcasts. Someone said travel and places they yeah. like to go. So that always is a good one for me. Um, and I've been to, to quite a few pretty unique places. So uh, top three yeah, places. But, yeah, where's your say, favorite places? Favorite places. Iceland. I've been to Iceland. Oh, yeah. We actually had an SSI management summit there once, which was uh, the time the volcano went off. We landed the day the volcano went off, if you can believe Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, all the Europeans couldn't get back home. They had to go through right. some part of northern Norway and get a bus all the way back to different parts of Europe. Um, but that was, uh, that was a really interesting and kind of crazy place. Um, yeah. Sydney I liked. I spent some time there, especially kind of like just beautiful nature and out out by the uh out by the ocean and the cliffs out there. It was pretty fun. Right. And uh and I'm a fan of London. I, I lived in London for eighteen months and uh it's actually one of my favorite places to 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 be. I love London so much. It's just it's an amazing city. Um it's just too expensive to visit very often. <laughs> too expensive to visit it's too expensive to live for the most part but, yeah um, i like i like how people mix together in london of different backgrounds and yeah um, it's, absolutely uh, yeah it's a, it's All a right. nice spot one more p and you live in florida so i'm hoping that you have a public story that is our newest <laughs> p it is my favorite p assume i'm just kind of crossing my fingers here that you have a public story Publix is my favorite place to grocery shop and i go there <laughs> i I used to call it my um, my second home for a while, at least pre pandemic. But um, I heard about your your public's affiliation from your podcast with with Shannon and Mary back then. Yes. And uh, so I I since then had a call with Mary and oh because I I wanted to well she happened to be on a call and I made sure I was there and <laughs> wanted to let her know about my love of Publix also. And it turns out that the Publix that Mary Draper loves is the Publix that I go to every day. <laughs> oh my gosh. She's got to be, she probably cursed at you. <laughs> so, so yeah. So there, there's your full circle public story right there. Wow. She has to be so jealous. That's amazing. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, so in the same town that I live in, in the middle of Florida, I guess she used to live here, and 
Um, we used to go to the same Publix. That's that's hilarious. Well, Andrew, thanks for coming on the podcast. I love your perspective on data quality, and you guys are doing some cool stuff there. And how can people reach you? Um, I know opinionroute.com. Is there anything else you'd like to promote, or how they can reach you? My email, amoffitt at opinionroute.com, LinkedIn, I'm very active in. That's probably it. I don't really participate beyond those. And, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm always on the phone. So, um, you know, any, I, and I love having conversations about this kind of stuff. So if you want to pick my brain or have a chat about data quality, um, happy to do so anytime. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you to Andrew Moffitt of Opinion Route. Uh, for joining us. Really good guy. Um, I haven't known him very long, but he's um, super smart. We share a lot of the same interests. You can find more information about them at opinionroute.com. They they have a lot of blogs and social media about how they do data quality and the things that he was talking about. You can find them there. And, um, you know, by the way, one thing is that he mentioned he's from, I think, Ireland. And I went to his LinkedIn page. I saw, I think he went to the University of Dublin. I think that's where he went. I was like, where is that? Is that is that like a private school in New Hampshire I've never heard of before? Is that a liberal, liberal arts school? You know, you know that always happens that you've never heard of a university. No, it's actually the University of Dublin in Ireland. That's where he went to school. I'm not sure what to say to that. Dublin City, Dublin City University. I should get this right since, you know, this is permanent. Dublin City University as a truck drives by. But who's listening at the end of these episodes anyway? So thanks to Andrew. Thanks to Andrew Moffat for joining us, um, and stay tuned for the Grit episode soon. If you have any feedback, please reach out to us. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.